24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. It's gearing up for grandmas, and hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Graves, uh, our exclusive podcast on all things Grandma's Marathon. And we're very happy to have on the phone uh, with us today, uh, Wendy Hovland-Craig, perhaps in some ways maybe uh, the least known of the Grandma's Marathon winners, but somebody you should know. And she has an interesting story. For Wendy, then Wendy Hovland from Hoyt Lakes up in the Iron Range, came to Grandma's in the inaugural year, 1977, and was the first women's champion. So with that, by way of introduction, uh, Wendy, whose married name is Craig, she is Wendy Hovland Craig, uh, welcome. It's nice to have you on the program, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were a local girl uh, of sorts, not very far away from grandma's. I guess one of the first things I'm curious about is uh, the race didn't have a lot of publicity, a lot of notoriety in its first year, especially. How did you even hear about grandma's marathon? I'm not sure how I heard about it. Um, I was... um... A freshman, I had just finished my freshman year at UW-Eau Claire in Wisconsin. So I, and I was involved with the Indian Head Track Club there. So I may have heard it from there, from the club, or I may have heard about it through uh, a running partner I had on the Iron Range, Brian Carich, who I would run with when I was back home. So uh, I know that you went to college at UW-Eau Claire, but tell me a little bit about your your earlier athletic background, uh, if any, up uh, up in Hoyt Lakes. Well, I like to talk about this because at the time I wasn't really aware of all the politics going around with women's sports. But um, I was a cheerleader because that was one of the few things you could do for women's sports. They had women's track. I ran the one mile and the two mile. And then they had gymnastics and swimming and volleyball. And that was it for women's sports. But um, I'm trying to remember now if it was 73 or 74 when uh, Title IX passed. And they said there had to be equal opportunity for women to participate in sports. So then schools were trying to gear up women's sports. So my senior year in high school, I had decided... I'm going to try swimming and I'm not going to be a cheerleader anymore. I am not built for swimming. Um, Actually, I sometimes think the swim coach asked the cross country running coach to do this, but it turns out they were starting a girls cross country running team that year. And he actually came to swim practice and asked me if I would join the girls cross country running team. And that's why I say, I kind of think the, swim coach might have asked the coach, the running coach to do that. (laughs) But there were three of us um, who joined the cross country running team. And so that was my senior year in high school. 
And that was the first time I really ever ran much distance because even when I ran the one and two mile in track, I don't know if I'd ever run more than three or four miles at a time before that. So, um, yeah, so there were three of us, and that was my first endeavor in endurance sports. We practiced with the boys. And then um, that year, I also joined cross country skiing, uh, partly because I was a downhill skier growing up. My family had a season pass, but I thought, I want to learn how to cross country ski. And I had been down on the trails trying to teach myself. And I figured I'm in pretty good shape. And these people are going by me like I'm standing still. So I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to join the team and learn how to do it right. So I joined the cross country ski team my senior year in high school, too. And I have to correct myself here because Jack Jeffrey was the coach of cross country skiing at the Aurora White Lakes High School. And I believe he always had girls on the team. But Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. So he was way ahead of him of his time in that. I think he was just such a so passionate about cross country skiing. He just let everybody join, whoever wanted to. But I, I guess I just wasn't really aware of it because I was more in the downhill skiing um, every weekend in the winter prior to that. So that's how I got into endurance sports. And then the following year, um, I was in track and then somebody started a club for running in the Aurora White Lakes area. I don't remember who started it, but um, there's a few of us who would start running together. I think that was the first year I ran, I ran the Buell Half Marathon. Um, I want to say I was not very fast, but I was glad I finished. So, um, and that's how I ended up running a lot with Brian Carich because we were the most um, consistent people who would show up to run together. So that, that was my early days of running. And then I actually did plan to join the cross country ski team, uh, cross country running team at UW-Eau Claire. And then I, um, I got a stress fracture, which I discovered for my, you know, pre-participation sports physical. So I ended up not joining the cross country ski te- uh, running team, but I ended up joining the Eau Claire ski striders that winter and I did all kinds of fun citizen cross-country ski races and most of the people in the Eau Claire ski striders were members of the Indian Head Track Club and then that's how I got involved with the Indian Head Track Club. So I, I'm I'm curious because uh, running a marathon of course requires great preparation uh, but there are so many people that prepare a little bit, run it as a challenge or or maybe even a lark and hope to get by. So you had some athletic background uh, to be sure. But the question is, I'm, I'm sort of curious, do you have any recollection of how long your longest runs might have been in preparation for that race in 1977? Well, you are right that I did not have any like formal training for running a marathon, but it wasn't completely a lark as far as I was very active and I did do a lot of running. Um, different than nowadays where you can go online and somebody will give you the most efficient way to get the best time possible, maybe with the 
you know, whatever time you have available to run. I just ran a lot for the pure challenge of it, just trying to find out where my limits were. I ran all kinds of local races of all kinds of distances. Um, but there was a period of time where um, I think the longest run I had done before that race was a 20 mile race. But there was a period of time where I ran six days a week and I would go 15, five, 15, five, 15, five, and then a day off. Oh, well, that's, I mean, now you're getting substantial. So you, I mean, uh, it's not to say that your long runs were four or five miles in preparation for that first race. Oh, right. I did run a lot. Um, another thing I did, and I'm pretty sure I did this the summer of the marathon, two weeks before the marathon, is the Indian Head Track Club had a 24-hour relay. And so um, I think I was the only woman who participated on that. Um, I don't know how many teams there were, but there were 10 people on my team, and I was the only woman. And so I ran 25 miles during that 24 hours. I ran every 10th mile for my team. So, you know, those were more like, that's more like interval training. The biggest challenge is trying not to let your muscles lock up between each mile. <laughs> and uh, the first marathon uh, in 77 for you, uh, I think there were around 10 women or so. Uh, one looks back with the benefit of, of, uh, history and, and 2020 vision and says, wow, that was, uh, that was maybe kind of heroic or that was, uh, cutting edge. And, and uh, that was a, a great demonstration, uh, for women. But so I'll let you answer the question simply, uh, did you, you were a 18 year old freshman at UW Eau Claire. Were you thinking of any of that kind of stuff, Wendy? Not at all. Not at all. To me, this was just, um, running was getting more popular and I liked doing it. I liked being in the woods and I, I was, I grew up sort of a tomboy in the woods and so running was running on trails, running on back roads. So I loved doing it and I loved challenging myself. So I wanted to see if I could finish it. I was pretty confident I could, but I, I was mostly just running it for the fun of it. And truthfully, I was just, I ran with a group of guys and we were just chatting well into the race. And so I wasn't like really working hard. And then I thought, I'm going to speed up. I feel wonderful. So, um, so then I sped up and then, um, yeah, I sort of have a competitive nature. So I was, I was going to, um, I was just going to keep running. And then Brian, who I mentioned earlier had dropped out of the race and somewhere around six or seven miles to go. He said, that person in front of you is the first woman. And I thought, huh, you're not going to fool me. You're not going to get me to speed up. <laughs> and then, you know, I just thought, what? I mean, I she was far enough away. I wasn't even sure if it was a woman. But um, anyway, I thought, well, I'm just going to speed up a little and find out. And then 
then I thought, you know, I'm going to just speed up some more. And I just kept thinking that till I thought, I'm going to pass her. I'm going to pass her. And um, so, yeah, so then that's that's kind of what I'm like in races. I just, I always want to pass who's ever in front of me. <laughs> Wendy, did you ever find out who that woman was? Somebody has mentioned her name to me. And, you know, two years ago when they gave me um, the... Uh, Scott Keenan um, Founders Award. Right. He told me her name and I don't remember. I'm so sorry. I don't remember. Um, she was from the Twin Cities. I guess she was a well-known runner in the Twin Cities. And um, I I apologize to her because I don't remember her name. No, though, that's okay. And tell me a little bit uh, what the atmosphere what you recall, I know it was a long time ago, but it's probably implanted on your memory a bit. What was what was the whole scene like at Grandma's uh, that year? Well, I don't remember how I got to the start line, so I'm thinking they must have had buses that brought us there. So, like you know, I I don't actually remember that many details, but in my mind, I had run lots and lots of community races of different sorts. So it was just like another race. And there's a whole bunch of people at the beginning and they're uh, waiting to start the race and just chatting. And I was aware that um, uh, Gary Bjorklund was there. And of course, that's where a lot of the attention was because he was an Olympian. And I just figured, you know, they're in another group. And so, you know, you just start out running like back then they didn't have any lead cars. They didn't have any pacers. There was no spectators that I'm aware of at the start. And actually I have, there were spectators as we approached Duluth. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the name of that road that you come in. I know it's off highway 61, but coming up to London Hill road. Um, anyway, there's, there were a few spectators on the sides of the road but in the last couple miles, I, re- I feel like I was running through an alley area. There was nobody there, nobody watching the race. It was just, and I didn't even have anybody running around me at that time. There was nobody in front or behind me very close. So I was really just running by myself. And then when I got to the finish, there's a picture of me crossing. There's probably maybe a dozen or two people watching. So it, I mean, that's my memory. I mean, it's it's not, it wasn't blocked off with stands on the side. It was, uh, they had just had little flag, little, you know, those flags that they have on strings kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just went right through the finish, headed straight to the bathrooms. Um, <laughs> and so nobody even talked to me when I first crossed. I literally just ran through the finish to the bathrooms. And um, yeah, so um, it was a it was a wonderful, beautiful weather day. It was actually quite hot. The race started at eleven that year, so um, Duluth is always a little colder. Colder, but out on the out on the run, it was. It, I think it got to the eighties, and it was quite hot. And it was just a gorgeous day, and just uh, like the harbor often is in Duluth, lots of people hang. There were lots and lots of people there that kind of hung out for the rest of the day. And I vaguely remember getting my trophy, and Gary Bjorklund got a trophy, and um, 
yeah, that's, that's kind of what I remember. It wasn't such a big deal. That's, I guess that's my thing. It was, um, yeah, different. So um, I do want to talk uh, uh, considerably about your life uh, since that moment, uh, because uh, you, you have continued to have a love of, of cross-country skiing and, and the outdoors and, and all of that stuff. But it, it, it I mean, it was really impossible to know uh, at that at that time what this race was going to turn out to be and turn out to be one of uh, one of the country's most acclaimed road races uh, with elite international fields. For you, you were just taking in the experience and living it in the moment, right? Right, right. I will say, though, um, I still remember running that race and looking over Lake Superior on this gorgeous day and thinking, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. So I I tried driving the course last year because my husband and I went camping up the North Shore, but the highway was closed. So I thought maybe that would bring back my memories. I don't remember how much of the road or the race course, you were overlooking Superior, but I remember there were large sections of it where you could see Lake Superior and you could see Duluth way off in the distance. And it's a beautiful course. It's a beautiful course. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, it continues to be absolutely captivating. Your time then was uh, 3.23 and change. And so it must have been a little bit, I mean, you you... Uh, you live in Minnesota now. You're in the suburban Twin Cities area, and um, you came back two years ago to get uh, a, a Scott Keenan Award, and that's the first time we ever met. I was aware of your name, but uh, we'd never met. And what was it like coming back all those years later, receiving this award and seeing what the race had become? You know, I actually kind of am tearing up as you mentioned that. Um, I It was really a thrill to be there because I love seeing how far women's sports have come. Now, okay, it's slipping my mind and I'm feeling really bad about this. The winner last uh, that year um, from Colorado, Boulder. Oh, uh, was it uh, Nell Rojas? Yes, yeah. Nell Rojas. I got I just teared up when she crossed the finish line. I tear up just thinking about it because I don't even know her really, but I'm immensely proud of her performance. And um I just think it's spectacular to see other women performing like that. I just um I love that. All the excitement was really fun. It was the first you know, I met Scott Keenan just in getting my award the year I won it. But that's, we spent a lot of time together that weekend. And I think Scott's a great guy. And I, I really think he's a big reason that race is what it is because of who he is and his appreciation for both the volunteers and the runners and everybody who makes it happen. Um, so that was all wonderful. And meeting all the people who were involved in getting it started from the beginning. Um, like, oh, I can't remember his first name, Doherty. Um, Brian. Brian Doherty from yep. uh, Grandma's Duluth, uh, Saloon and Deli. 
um, it was really fun meeting all those people and just seeing what it's all about. But I would say the highlight for me of everything was seeing Nell cross the finish line. And then I got my picture with her. <laughs> so and that was extremely exciting to me. So that's so wonderful. Our guest today is Wendy Hovland Craig, the first winner of Grandma's Marathon back in 1977. I'm Peter Graves. Glad to have you along. Uh, I'm really touched by how much um, the experience uh, uh, is not lost upon you. It, it sounds like, in fact, uh, even though you haven't been to the race for a long time after, never run, ran it again. I don't know that you ever ran another marathon again, did you? I didn't. That was my first and only marathon. Well, you picked a good one to do, Wendy. Yes, I did. <laughs> but it sounds like, uh, you know, in something that could be measured in just hours, really, the whole experience was very powerful for you. It was. It was. Um, just, I think what I still like about sports is finding where my limits are and uh, marathon running does that. Other things can do it also. Um, so yeah, it's about expanding, expanding, finding where your limits are. I guess that's the best way I can say it. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And these days you're uh, a nurse practitioner uh, and uh, uh, working, uh, I guess, around the Eden Prairie area. Um, but from the several conversations you and I've had, exercise, movement, and sport um, have continued to be something that's really a uh, a focal point of your life, Wendy. It is. And it's a combination of two things. One, I really love the outdoors. Growing up in the Iron Range, I spent all my most of my free time outside, and I still that's very valuable to me. So I tend to favor sports that are outdoors for that reason. But when I can't be outside, I still like to exercise. I still like to set goals for myself and find out what I can do. And your goals change as you get older. And one of the things I say, because now I'm 62, is aging is an athletic event. <laughs> Yes, it is. In the sense that you run into barriers and obstacles and you have to work through them to find out what you can continue to do, whether they be, you know, injuries or time commitments that you have um, or just aging itself. But um, I still like to set goals and and find out what those are, but I never want to lose track of the pure pleasure of it, of just the pleasure of both being outside and exercising and using my body. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think that's a good message. So, so, you know, tell me more. I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say the ancient Greeks considered all of us to be Olympians, to be athletes. Uh, and, and yes, it, it continues throughout life if we have the blessings of of good health 
and all that. But but to suffice to say, life is not a, a spectator sport. And so you're out there still. Tell me the kinds of things uh, that you're enjoying these days. Well, I love cross-country skiing. <laughs> so I that never gets old to me. I love the feeling of freedom when you're gliding on skis with the fresh air. I just there's something meditative about it, similar to running. There's a certain rhythm to it. Um, the gyms are closed now, so I bought a water rower. Love my water rower. Same thing, kind of rhythm. You're, you're getting your exercise. Um, this I still set kind of goals. I don't know what drives me, Peter. I just I set these goals. I have no competition in mind, but. In my 50s, I decided I wanted to be able to do a pull-up, just one pull-up. And it took me a long time to get there, and I did my first pull-up a couple weeks before my 55th birthday. And then I thought, well, I'm going to see how many I can do. And then I decided I'm going to do 10 pull-ups by my 60th birthday consecutively. So then, then I did that. And then I thought, well, I'll just maintain at that. But then my son, who's always challenging me, you know, he he does things to challenge me just because he knows I'm going to try. So he says, well, you know, Mom, Jessie Diggins does her pull-ups with weights. So I don't do as much weight as Jessie Diggins. (laughs) But now my goal is to do 10 consecutive pull-ups with a 10-pound weight. And I'm up to eight. (laughs) So, you know. Those are the kinds of things. Um, I love to hike. I love to be in the mountains. I still like to downhill ski. I kind of prefer cross country though. Um, I like getting really physically exhausted. Um, I, I married a man who was born and raised in Missoula, Montana, and we lived there for 10 years. So we've done a lot of hiking in the mountains. So bagging peaks is one of those challenging things that we like to do. You know, one thing, Wendy, that just struck me, uh, because you've laid a a beautiful, articulate groundwork of uh, what moves you and and to some degree what motivates you. Uh, You you only did one marathon. Uh, And it's it sounds like you're a woman who likes likes a challenge. Um, Can you illuminate on that a little bit? Uh, uh, Why you did not run more of those? I've been asked that, and I don't really know. I will say, um, you know, I didn't have any sponsors, and these going to these races was expensive for me. I did not have a car in college. Uh, so I just, you know, and another thing that was different back then is I think some women were able to do this during my time, but I guess I didn't put it on my horizon to actually – you know, make money doing it or be able to, you know, train enough to um, do more of it. But, you know, I, I ran the marathon and I still did a lot of other races and I still ran a lot, but it's just, I guess I never had a goal to run another marathon. Another thing is after I finished college, I moved to Montana and there weren't any marathon races out there. There was what was called the Earth Day Run, a 12-mile race, and I ran that out there. Um, but I, I just wasn't traveling, really, to enter these races. 
people have asked me that. I guess I don't really have an answer. I just guess I moved on to other other things. Yeah, and I, I don't think you needn't have an answer for it. Uh, but you know, it's it's just sort of interesting to me. Um, and as I hear you talk and know you a little bit, it, it seems like exercise uh, for the mind, body, and spirit have uh, been really central to your life and uh, and brought you a large measure of happiness. Uh, yes, and it's part of the reason I went into healthcare. But I often say exercise is like the best medicine for everything. It's good for your heart and lungs. It's good for your sleep. It's good for your uh, mental well-being. It, it's, you know, it's, it's like you name it. Exercise is, is good medicine for it. So that's what I tend to think. But, you know, it's all, it's all in balance because um, one of the things I recognize is people who really go on to get to the world-class level you know, there's a certain, when you, when you choose to do more of that, that puts certain limitations on other areas in your life too. So, you know, there's, everybody kind of figures out what they want as their priority to push as far as they can athletically. There is a cost to that in some ways. So, um, yeah. And and we all have different options and choices when we when we come to that too. Do you watch the Olympic Games when they're on television? Do you have some measure of awe of what you see? Well, I do. I do like. I did watch the. Uh, did watch Jesse Diggins finish. <laughs> right. And let me just say, if people don't know who Jesse is, we may. Jesse is uh, from Afton, Minnesota. Uh, who. Uh, along with Keegan Randall, won the gold medal at the Winter Olympic Games in Pyeongchang 2018, South Korea, in the team sprint. And having said that, let me turn it back over to you, Wendy. So I do, I don't really, basically, I don't watch much, watch much TV at all. Um, so, but I did, I wanted to watch uh, Keegan Randall and Jesse Diggins. I've followed both of them, them especially Keegan, um, I followed their careers, not real closely, like I know many cross-country skiers do, but Keegan Randall, I really always admired because she was out there competing at a level that no other American woman was. And so she didn't really have, she had, she had to go, go it alone a little bit more as far as a, a social, uh, from a social perspective. And so I have great admiration for her. And I also saw her um, win the sprints when she was in high school at, at the Junior Olympics, and she was just incredible to watch. So I thought the same thing when the two of them were racing in the sprint um, relay race at the Olympics. I also, I, I also watched Simone Biles, <laughs> so another example of an incredible female athlete. But otherwise, I, I don't really spend enough time watching TV to, to say that I keep track. <laughs> well, you're probably out busy doing, and, and, uh, and that's good, too, but a good plug for cross-country. So going back a little bit, uh, I want to talk about the issue of Title IX, because it was a very profound issue. And I'm of a certain age that I remember what sport was like 
prior to Title IX. I was certainly a great supporter of it coming into play. I mean, probably as that was all unfolding, a lot of us, and particularly maybe a lot of men, didn't have the full understanding of what it was going to mean. But it sounds to me like you were one of the very early beneficiaries of uh, the Title IX Act, weren't you? I was. I did not realize it at the time. But when I look back, I think that's why they started the cross-country running team when I was in high school. They had to have equal number of sports offered for women as they did men, which was why I got involved, because otherwise I wasn't really... Um, I was never a sprinter. I wasn't a gymnast. I'm not tall enough for volleyball. I'm not built for swimming. So um, yeah, it just really made a difference. And I think sports is a huge thing in um, developing your self-confidence. And I think it's huge for women. Um, I said this once on a previous podcast too, but you know, for women... There's so much in our media, et cetera, that's sexualized for women. And sports gives women an opportunity to be proud of what their bodies can do rather than what their bodies look like. And I think that's a huge, uh, I want to say a word meaning freedom. It's it's Liberation, maybe. Yes. It's a huge liberating thing for women to think about what they can accomplish and what they could do with their bodies rather than what they look like. And um, so, and I do think it's, it it does give a lot of self-confidence as far as setting goals. If I set my mind to it, I can make this plan and accomplish things. And that carries over into other things in your life too, as well as the self-confidence from it. And it certainly changed the face of sport uh, in in a most profound and and important way. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit as, as our time uh, draws close, but my guess is you don't look at exercise as work. My guess is from hearing you talk that you look at it much more as, as play and, and sort of joyous self-expression. Can you comment on that at all? I would say, yes, I do look at it as a joyous self-expression. There's days, though, when I don't really feel like working out. And it can be work, but I remind myself I'm doing it so that I can play. (laughs) So, you know, like one of the things when my kids were young, I would think I'm going to keep working out so when they're older, I can still be active with them. Now my kids are older, we do active vacations together, we go hiking, we go skiing, whatever. Um, but now I have grandchildren and I wanna be in shape so I can go go do things with my grandchildren uh, in whatever it may be for them. So, but I don't, if I really truly don't want to work out, then I won't because it has to be, there has to be some pleasure to it also. I don't know if that answered your question. It's a little bit of both. I love doing it on the days when I don't feel like doing it. I do it anyway because I know it's going to enable me to enjoy it another time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it 
it's been a delight talking to you. Um, and I feel like I've gotten to know you so much better. And, and I think that our, our listeners have too. I, I, I find you quite an inspiration with, with kind of a great deal of, of purity in the way you look at sports and movement. And my guess is you incorporate this when you can in your life's work as a nurse practitioner. Oh, I do. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a health, I'm a lifelong health, not about everything, but like I said, I think exercise is one of the best medicines for everything. So what I sometimes tell people is if you don't exercise at all now, start with a walk around the block, (laughs) start with where you are and then increase from there. And when you don't feel like doing it at all, just do a little, but do something. <laughs> oh, Wendy, uh, it's wonderful. And uh, I, uh, I, I I just love it. And uh, to think that at least a very real part of this started at Grandma's, you being the first women's champion in 1977. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. It's been great. Well, that's it for this week. The Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast is brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. New episodes will come out the second Wednesday of each month. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. And again, a profound thanks this week. It's been a delight to talk to her, Wendy Hovland Craig. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASICS. Run fast, run far, and have fun, everybody. I'm Peter Graves. Thank you so very much for listening, and we'll see you next month. So long.